This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm the publisher and editor-in-chief of The Tonic Magazine and producer and host of The Tonic Talk Show and Podcast. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll learn about protein with Joel Thuna. We'll find out about the key to nonviolent communication with Tracy Sograti. We'll discover Ayurvedic daily rituals with Karishma and Mamta Pranjaban. And lastly, we'll discuss natural support for your thyroid with Dr. Stephanie Rubino, ND. But before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. Did you ever wonder why the memory of frightening events stays with you while other memories fade over time? Neuroscientists at Tulane and Tufts have determined that the stressed neurotransmitter norepinephrine facilitates fear processing in the brain by stimulating certain population of inhibitory neurons in the amygdala to generate repetitive bursting patterns of electrical discharges. This activity changes the frequency of our brainwave oscillation in the amygdala from a resting state to an aroused state that promotes the formation of fear memories. You may have heard of the gut-brain connection, but a recent study out of Monash University looked into the gut-skin axis and has found that microbial fermentation of dietary fiber in the gut can protect against allergic skin disease. The research could potentially lead to novel treatments to prevent or treat allergies. Researchers at the University of Calgary revealed a potential new way to treat chronic pain by using anti-cancer drugs rather than opioid-based pain medication. They identified the existence of a molecule in the nervous system that enhances sensitivity to pain. This molecule had previously been thought to play a role in cancer growth, but had never been reported in the nervous system. By targeting this molecule, it may now be possible to use already existing anti-cancer drugs to block pain. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Joel Thuna in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. The tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and a regular guest on the show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. It is always my pleasure to be. So sometimes we talk about more obscure things and different things that are out there. And then other times 
we get to sort of core health and wellness, which is what I would describe this discussion is going to be about because we're looking at one of the sort of core components and nutrients that we need, and that is protein. Oh, definitely. So why is protein key to our health? Well, it's one of the cornerstones of your health, your quality of life, and your longevity. It's one of the three nutrients considered a macronutrient, which are ones that you need in high amounts each and every day. And the other two are carbohydrates and fat. Now, each of these provides your body with different levels of energy measured in the form of calories, as you can see on the side of packages. Carbohydrates are four calories per gram, proteins are four calories per gram, and fat is nine calories per gram. And the reason I'm bringing that up is that often you'll hear people say, this is a better carbohydrate, this is a better fat, etc., etc., etc. Yes, they may be better in the way your body handles them, but they still have the exact same amount of calories, no matter what kind of carbon it is, no matter what kind of proteins, no matter what kind of fat is, they each category has its own exact amount of calories. Okay. So focusing on protein for a moment. So proteins become amino acids in our Correct. body, right? So can we sort of walk through what amino acids are and, and a little bit about that process? Amino acids are considered the building block of life. And what they are, are little molecules, <laughs> not much more to be said about them than that, that get organized to create proteins. They get organized in chains and every single protein, there are billions of proteins, every single protein has a unique shape based on how the amino acids are arranged, which amino acids are in it, and how they're linked together, those chains, to form the protein. Now, the big thing is you need to make sure that you get the proper amount every single day because your body doesn't store amino acids. Our bodies make them, and the way they make them is in two different ways. Either we make them completely and utterly by scratch or by modifying specific amino acids. Your body makes hundreds of amino acids, but here's a kicker. There's nine it cannot make, and those nine are considered essential amino acids. If you don't get them from your diet, you don't have them, and it causes health issues. Okay. What does our body, other than building protein or building back ourselves, is there anything else that the amino acids do, or is that really the core purpose of the amino acid? Well, it makes proteins. The other big thing it does is it actually creates enzymes, because enzymes are proteins. Many people don't know that, but enzymes huh. actually are proteins. And what these do, it's easier to say what functions they allow your body to do. They enable, for example, the breakdown of food. Most people think enzymes food. They also enable chemical reactions. They allow your body to grow and repair tissues. They allow hormones and neurotransmitters to exist. They provide an energy source. They maintain your organs, including your hair, skin, and your nails. They build and maintain muscle. They build your immune system. They sustain your digestion. That's an important one. And essentially, if you look at that master list, they let you be you. Right. And you're saying some of these amino acids we don't produce. We have to get them from our food, right? Correct. Nine of them. And I presume we have to get them by eating protein, right? Is that how it works? or Either protein or you can also buy isolated amino acids. Right. I don't recommend them, right. but you can 
Right. But our bodies are meant to take in these essential amino acids that we do not create ourselves through our food. Otherwise, otherwise what would be the purpose of eating the food, right? <laughs> Agreed. Okay. Agreed. Okay. So what are branch chain amino acids? Because that's something, that's a term I've heard, but I don't know what it means. Well, branch chain amino acids, they're also called BCAAs, the abbreviation, yep. are three specific essential amino acids. So they're ones your body can't produce. They're leucine, isoleucine, and valine. And the reason they're very important is because of their shape, they're the ones that actually help build and reduce the breakdown of muscle. And that that will get very important later on in our conversation. But muscle health and muscle maintenance, they are requiring those three amino acids in fairly large volumes on a regular basis. Okay. And let's talk about, so you've identified muscles as where proteins are found and and necessary to build. Correct. Where else in our body are we using proteins? Beyond muscle, you're using them in cartilage, tendons, ligaments. They're actually part of your bones. They're a major component of your skin, your hair, your nails, your blood, your lungs, your liver, your kidneys. Again, enzymes, hormones, all the antibodies that are part of your immune system. And overall, just your cell structure requires them. So... As we said before, it's the building block of life. Right. So uh, other than water, this is probably number two (laughs) in importance. Okay. So now we've established what protein is and how it's used by the body and the fact that we need to get certain forms of these proteins slash amino acids through our food, right? So let's talk about sources of protein. Now, this is a bit of a can of worms we're about to open. Okay. So you can get protein both from animal and plant-based foods. So, for example, you can be vegan and still have a high-protein diet. That's entirely possible. You can be an omnivore. It's much easier to get a high-protein diet from being an omnivore, but you can do it as a vegan, vegetarian, not problem. But when it comes to quality, animal sources are significantly better virtually all the time. And what I mean by that is the actual amino acids in them the percentage of protein in the food itself, and the digestibility and usability. And that's very important because a food can be really high in protein, but if you can't digest it or use it, who really cares? Right. Yeah. Okay. So if that's true, then what should our vegan friends consider? Like if the protein they're getting isn't as good, what do they do? Well, here's the big thing. You do want to have what's called complete protein. And a complete protein is one that has all the nine essential amino acids that your body can't produce in a ratio and enough volume that they're beneficial for you. That's what a complete protein is. Animal products are automatically complete. All of them are. Every single one from eggs, chicken, fish, dairy, beef, they're all complete. The vast majority of plant-based products are not. For example, if you have almonds, which are high in protein, they're not a complete protein. They're missing some of those nine essential amino acids. If you have rice, if you have quinoa, all of them, the only one that is complete is soy. That's it. All the others are not. So what most vegans tend to do if they're going for a high-protein diet is what they will do is they will mix. They'll mix, say, almonds with peanuts, with soy, with rice, with legumes, 
with seeds, nuts, etc., 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 to try and make sure they overlap their amino acid profile so that they get enough of those nine essential amino acids. However, here's the big kicker. In order to do that, you have to consume a significantly higher amount of calories, carbohydrates, and fat than you would if you're doing it from animal-based protein. Just because they're so much lower, you have to get all the other stuff with it. Got it. So you're eating more is what you're saying, and you're consuming more calories to get the same amount of protein. Correct. Definitely. Okay. All right. What are single ingredient foods and how do they fit into the big picture? Well, part of the reason this is a big can of worms is you've had this rise in what we call plant-based foods, which are your artificial meats, your artificial dairy, your, for example, veggie burgers, veggie sausages, veggie ice cream, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is those are actually plant-based junk foods. <laughs> yeah, they're highly processed. I don't, th- I don't know if people appreciate how processed oh, they, they are. are. Oh, they're ridiculously processed. And not only are they highly processed, what they have to add to them, they start off with really nice ingredients, but then when they add to them is a laundry list of things that if it were in something that weren't plant-based, most people would never eat it. It right. would scare the living daylights out of them. And the problem is that you get those and you feel good because the products have what's called a halo effect in marketing. It makes you feel good, not that you're tasting it, but that you think you're doing good for you and for the environment. But it's a fallacy. You're actually harming the environment because they're so highly processed and you're putting things into your body that you would never actually do if you were looking to be healthy. So what I say to do is go for single ingredient products. And when I say single ingredient, I mean things like yogurt, broccoli, cauliflower, chickpeas, chickpeas, soy, soybeans, sprouts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or even chicken, beef, milk. The point is, if there's more than one ingredient on it, or it needs a nutrition facts panel or an ingredients list, it's a problem. You want to go back to simple. Simple is the key here because simple means you're getting protein as much as you can in the healthiest forms, regardless of whether it's vegan, vegetarian, or omnivore. Okay. We were talking about how amino acids build your muscles and break down your muscles. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Because not everybody thinks about muscles the same way, right? Like there are people who aren't terribly active. And then there are people who, no, you're holding up your hand. But I, know, I know you're more active than most. And then there are people obviously who are trying to bodybuild and are trying to build muscle mass in an active and overt way. So when you talk about breaking down muscle, what are you talking about there? And, and how does it all fit into my muscle goals, for example? Well, there's there's two different camps there and you've, you've identified them quite well. There are people who are actively working out all the way up to your, your professional bodybuilders right. and professional athletes. And then there's mere mortals, the rest of us. The rest of us, exactly. (laughs) The professional people, the athletes, they already get this. They know all this. They know their protein requirements, et cetera, and they understand it. What happens with them is when you work out, you actually, the process of building muscle is you actually rip it, break it, and then your body repairs it. And that's how muscle grows. The problem for the rest of us is at around age 35, a process starts, it is roughly called age-related muscle loss. It has a clinical name called, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, scarpenia. 
Mm-hmm. And the problem is that if you do nothing and don't try to avoid it, you will lose as much as 3% of your muscle mass and strength every year starting at age 35. And, okay, you're going, okay, well, that makes sense. As I get older, I'm not da-da-da-da-da. And you keep going down that line of thinking. The problem is what it results in. The big result in Scarpinia is that it is a leading indicator of both disability and death. Because as you lose muscle strength and muscle volume, you actually end up reducing your dexterity, your mobility, balance, your balance, your strength, all of which leads to the inevitable falling and fractures. And both of those are highly correlated with mortality. Okay. So now you've established that we should be building our muscles and we need the protein to build the muscles. So we have time for one last question, and that is, what are your recommendations? Okay. This is actually a pretty easy one. One, you want to take slow steps to just keep moving. Moving will keep your muscles going and help them continue to exist and actually grow. Secondly, you want to improve your digestion because if you can improve your digestion, you can actually get more nutrition, including protein, from the foods you eat. With that one, I recommend Fibrific Plus Enzymes because it's a digestive fiber that's soothing along with a full raft of vegan enzymes. The last thing is to actually do protein. Go after protein foods that are both according to your diet plan, be it vegan, vegetarian, or omnivore, but at the same time, actively pursue single-ingredient foods that are high in protein. On top of that, you do want to start supplementing with a protein product. And I mean a protein supplement, be it a shake, a bar, a jello. There's hundreds of different options out there. But here's the kicker. Go for the cleanest product you can. With omnivores, I recommend a product that's whey protein isolate with virtually no negative things in it, no artificial flavors, sweeteners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. With vegans and vegetarians, I recommend doing it with pea protein isolate. The reason is that whey and pea isolates are clean. You can get them very clean. And if you buy a product that is clean, you'll get the results without the garbage. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always my pleasure, sir. For great articles by and interviews with Joel Thuna, please visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn about nonviolent communication on The Tonic. Suffering with pain or arthritis? Having trouble sleeping due to stress and anxiety? Understand the benefits of medical cannabis science. Optican CB4 relief soft gels are formulated with patented Bezosort pharmaceutical technology and are clinically proven to deliver four and a half times more CBD into your bloodstream three times faster than conventional CBD capsules. That's reliable relief in a nutshell and in an Optican soft gel. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist and sign up at OptiCanWith2Ns.ca. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. 
formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Tracy Sograti has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years of experience in leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage. And you can find her at SograttiYoga.com, Sograti Yoga on Facebook, or at Tracy Sograti on Instagram. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Jamie. I'm doing great. I want to give myself a little woohoo there when I hear my Bio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm particularly down, I just play my bio over and over and over again. But it's not as impressive as yours. So there you go. So nonviolent communication. Yes. How All did right. you feel when I sent that topic in? Okay, so I'm just assuming going forward that pretty much every topic that you are suggesting is in some way meant to edify me. But that's okay. I actually think I'm a very good communicator, and I'm a good, active listener and communicator. So Listen, you're one of my favorite people in the world. I just like to push your buttons a little bit. True. Who doesn't? It's <laughs> right. fun to push Jamie's buttons. That is that's 100% right. true. That's right. So what is nonviolent communication? Okay, so first of all, I have to say, and I'm sorry for the people out there who know about nonviolent communication, but I hate the name of it because yeah. whenever I say it to clients, I'm like, okay, let's practice nonviolent communication. Immediately, all defenses are up. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm not violent. Exactly. What are you talking about? And I'm like, okay, no, it's not about not punching someone in the face when you yell. It's not about that. Right. And what it is, is it's this communication style that really favors or prioritizes, say, empathy, connection, and giving from this place that's really compassionate. And, you know, in order to do that, what it asks all of us to do is overcome what I would say is a pretty deeply entrenched communication style. You know, for like hundreds of years, that really favors things like judgment, fear, obligation, like I have to, I should, you shouldn't is the judgment part, Uh, duty, or things like punishment, reward, and of course, the big bad shame. Mm -hmm. And so when we practice the style of communication, what ends up happening, and it's, you know, it's not perfect, it's a skill that we build over time, but what happens is that we shift both sort of how we express ourselves, and this is the more important piece, I think, Jamie, how we hear others. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And through the how we're expressing and how we hear other people, what we're actually attuning to, what we're becoming aware of is that we are all hungry to meet our own basic human needs. That's what we want. And sometimes over time, over the course of someone's life, they learn to meet their own needs in ways that are sometimes maladaptive. And that really shows up in communication. And so if we can, instead of sort of listening to the words, you know, because sometimes that's what's really triggering is if we can understand the need that's being communicated underneath the words, then we can get to really a solution or a place of compatibility or a place of connection or just even a place of kindness a little more frequently. Okay. So assuming we want to ascribe to that theory, how can we practice nonviolent communication? Okay. So there are basically four steps. Okay. And 
it's one of those situations for everyone listening where I'm going to describe this and your brain is going to go, yeah, that's totally logical. It makes sense because it's simple. It's simple. However, the actual doing of it is much more difficult because we all will reflexively, and I want you to think of, you know, when you go to the doctors and they check your reflexes and they tap that hammer against your knee, even if you don't want your knee to kick, it does right? You've mm-hmm. experienced that. Yep. And so when we're in a situation where we're triggered or our buttons are pushed, we are going to reflexively have trouble doing these four steps. So that's my little preface. But the first thing that we want to do is when we notice our button being pushed and there's a need for us to communicate, we start by observing the situation without evaluating or judging it. Okay, so first we observe. And what I often tell clients is when you're giving someone feedback, you want to just describe or narrate what's happening in front of you. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example, Jamie. Say you and your gorgeous wife are in an argument and you are standing against the counter and you cross your arms in front of your body and you hunch up your shoulders and you scowl. Yep. So instead of evaluating it, and the evaluation would look like, you know, her saying, why are you so angry right now? Okay, so feel how that is. It would be, Jamie, when you stand against the counter and cross your arms and your shoulders lift, then, then, okay, so that's the first part. So see how I just described the situation? Yep. Okay, the second part is that you identify a feeling. Okay, so if we take that scenario that I just laid out, if I identified a feeling, and knowing that a feeling is always related to your own body and it never involves other, it would look like this, Jamie, when you cross your arms and your shoulders hunch up and you're leaning against the counter, I feel worried. I feel anxious. Mm-hmm. I feel whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And the next step is to identify your need or desire. And what I want people to know is a psychic or basic need is always about yourself. It's not about anyone else. And it's always a basic human quality, right? So when I see you cross your arm and your shoulders lift up, I feel anxious because I need to feel connected with you because your feelings are important to me because I love you. Right? Mm -hmm. And and that's all about connection. The need there is connection. And then we formulate a request. Would you consider taking a break so that we can both, you know, come back more relaxed? Would you consider sitting at the table with me? And and it's a request that's stated positively with kind, you know, speaking kindly without any necessary emotion such as, of course, sarcasm. Time. Mm, yep. Now, the tricky thing is, is when we formulate things as a request, we have to understand also that they are requests. And the other person has full autonomy and, and can always deny the request, of course, right? Yep. But we are requesting because this is respectful. And then once we've formulated our request, we obtain feedback. And the feedback is just, you know, how are we doing here? Is this working for you the way that we're having this conversation? So that it becomes this real way of connecting with the other person that doesn't activate all of our defensive and protective mechanisms. Okay, now's the time where you give us an example. (laughs) No, it's fine. I get it. I can be an intimidating piece of work. So, I, I, yeah, I could see somebody saying something like that to me, saying, you know, right. hey, yeah. yeah, and I'm also demonstrative, like, why are you glaring at me? Like, I can tell that you're not happy with what I'm telling you. So, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, 
you know, one thing, you know, I definitely recommend with clients is, you know, just as an example, when you're noticing someone else's body language, right, and mm-hmm. you're reacting to it and you're going through those four steps, okay, you know, I'm seeing that you're leaning away from me and closing your eyes. I feel angry when I see you leaning away from me and closing my eyes because the story I'm telling myself is that you want nothing to do with me, for yep. example. Yep. Right? So when we, th- there's another example, when we lay that out for people, right, because I'm not using the words you, it's not as activating and it allows the person to clarify, it allows the person to meet us in the middle. It's more like an invitation to connect rather than, you know. A criticism. Uh, yeah, rather than a criticism or an invitation to go to battle. Okay. Right? Because that's often what's happening when we're communicating. We're battling it out with the other person. And we want to prove that we're right. Okay. So for those who may not appreciate it, there are things that people do that causes disconnection in their communications, right? Like if you're not an adept communicator, what are the things that cause disconnection? Yeah, so we call them the four D's of disconnection. And the first one is diagnosis. And under the heading of diagnosis, it could be judgment, right? Analysis, criticism, comparison. And, you know, when we, as soon as the other person hears any of those things, then it's instantly like our amygdala, that threat perceptor in our brain, it fires up and it increases defensiveness and increases resistance. So if we lead with that, there's no way to get to a point where we're moving towards each other. And if the person, you know, if you can get the person over to your side, they're usually feeling guilt or shame, right? So the end result or the long-term result is going to be pretty negative. So, you know, criticism is going to look like, you know, when you do that, you're so lazy, right? Mm -hmm. So you're so lazy by sitting there. You know, how could you do something like that? How could you do something like that to me? Instantly, we want to defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next one is denial, denial of responsibility for our own thoughts and feelings. And, And the simplest way to look at that is if you find yourself saying, you make me feel... It's like you should hear go off in your head. It's a red flag. No one can make you feel anything. They're your feelings, right? So Mm -hmm. it's I feel always. Demand language. Basically, what the other person hears when you demand, and, you know, I'm sorry to say this, listeners, is they hear blame and punishment implicitly, right? So as soon as someone says you have to, you must... Instantly, the other person feels like they're being blamed and punished, and we've all seen this play out in our relationships. And the other thing is deserve-oriented language, right? And that, you know, sometimes that happens when we're talking to our kids, especially teens, for example. It's like, well, you got what you deserved, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. well, what did you expect to happen? As if, you know, the situation actually deserves punishment. And, you know, whether an action is right or wrong, what happens from a communication perspective is you've alienated the other person. Mm -hmm. So even if they feel like, oh, you know, I would like to repair my behavior or whatever, whatever it is that they're going through, they're not going to meet you in the middle, right? Which is really what you want with communication because it's about connection. Agreed. Thank you so much for coming on the show today to explain that. It was my absolute pleasure. I just, I, I hope people practice it. <laughs> I hope so too. I hope so too. That was Tracy Sograti. For more information about Tracy and her work, visit SogratiYoga.com. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll discuss daily Ayurvedic rituals on the tonic. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. 
Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Grishma Pranjivan is an interdisciplinary visual artist, founder, CEO, and creative director of Manjula Essentials. Specializing in creative direction, photography, and graphic design, she holds a BA Honours in Creative Direction from the University of Arts, London, UK. Amamta Pranjivan is an Ayurvedic practitioner based in Toronto. She holds a BSc in Pharmacology and Toxicology from the University of Toronto. She received her postgraduate diploma in Professional Practice of Ayurvedic Herbal Medicine from Middlesex University, London, UK. Welcome to the show, both of you. How are you? Hi, thank you for having us. Hello, Jamie. Thank you so much for having us. So this is a first for the tonic, the first mother-daughter tandem on the show. Welcome, welcome. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, this is our first time recording something together as well. Fantastic. Okay, so we're here to talk about Ayurvedic rituals and sort of daily practice. So maybe one of you can give me a a beginner's intro to the principles of self-care practices for those who might not be familiar. Yeah. Yes, Jamie. It's such a vast topic if we get into our weather, but if I can just sort of give you sort of a brief synopsis and to understand what our weather is, we need to understand what that word stands for. It's a Sanskrit word. It's Indian Sanskrit and it's comprised of two words. Ayur and Veda. Ayur is life or lifespan and Veda is knowledge. So our weather is the knowledge of life and lifespan. And it was born, we don't know when it's originated, it would be when life itself had started. And it was born out of a deep study of life taken as a whole by the seers and sages of that time who were so in tune with nature itself. And all living beings, as the sages knew, and it applies even for us today, is that all living beings, either consciously or unconsciously, are striving for happiness and happiness from health from good health as well. So the right knowledge is necessary to secure enduring health and happiness. And the aim of Ayurveda, this particular knowledge system, is to preserve and protect the health of the healthy, promote human happiness, health and creative and spiritual growth. And then it also has the other curative side where we have treaties that has been written down that is the medicine system where it can heal the disease. So that's, in a gist, what Ayurveda really is. And when we talk about self-care and daily routines and ritual, it is the aim of that is to promote health and prevent disease. So we have our foundation. If our foundation is strong, then we're able to resist disease and anything, all the stresses that come in our lives as well. So with this 
With Ayurveda and the ancient wisdom of life and longevity, it defines a healthy being as one whose bioenergetic constitution, which is most people know commonly as the doshas, like vata, pitta, kapha. These are the bioenergetic constitutions. And the body tissues and the digestive fire is in a balanced state. And where the excretion system is also working well, so you're able to eliminate the waste and the waste don't accumulate. And when our senses, all our five senses, the sensory faculties are working efficiently and our mind and our spirit is in a clear, pleasant, content, gracious and tranquil state. So this is the foundation. And if these elements and these principles are intact, then we're able to resist diseases and we're able to have a fulfilled life where we're healthy, we're happy and we can contribute towards the society and therefore not being a burden on the society. So in order to remain in a balanced state and live a harmonious life, one needs to have the knowledge of one's unique constitution, which is the physical traits, mental, emotional tendencies and spiritual inclinations and become aware which elements and bioenergetic components are out of balance. And that's where their self-care rituals comes in. Okay. So I realize in asking you that question, <laughs> you know, that was a very good summary. <laughs> and there's probably, we could probably go on for days learning right. all the intricacies of exactly. it, right? So exactly. so that was really class 101, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And that's just touching the surface. Okay. So and it cannot do justice. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 you know, so I'm going to say it now. You're going to yeah. come back another day. And yes. We can sort of delve <laughs> into some of the more details. Absolutely. But, but continuing on with sort of our 101 synopsis. Mm-hmm. What are some of the Ayurvedic ingredients that we should know about? There are so many of them, but we can go into the most popular ones or the most powerful ones. And just to kind of summarize and go off of Mamta, Ayurveda has been founded in South Asia. Like It is very much rooted in South Asian culture and rituals, and it's been the foundation of plant-based healing for over 5,000 years, if not more. And some of these ingredients that we've used in our formulations and within medicinal systems in general have all been plant-based and have different properties which heal the skin internally and externally. So amla is probably the best ingredient to go into because it's just all-encompassing. And I don't think that it's as popular as you know turmeric and ashwagandha, which is really becoming quite big in the West. Mm-hmm. Abla is, it's an Indian gooseberry. It's a powerful antioxidant that's highly rich in vitamin C. And just to give you an idea, one little berry is, it contains the vitamin C equivalent of 12 oranges. So it is quite powerful. Wow. And because of its antioxidant properties, it really helps boost collagen production it helps with firmness of the skin, even skin tone, and it's anti-inflammatory. So it calms any type of inflammation, whether it's internal or external. So is this something you would eat or is this something that you would use as an ingredient topically? It's both. Okay. And that's the beauty of Ayurvedic ingredients is that a lot of it is able to be ingested as well as topically applied. Okay. Are there any other ingredients that we should know about? Yeah. Saffron is a really big one as well. I feel like that is something that people would probably know more about it from cooking but when you apply it to your skin it's again like packed with antioxidants including vitamin c it's so rich in minerals and it's anti-inflammatory it's antibacterial it has really powerful skin brightening properties so it's really great for 
fading the appearance of dark spots and helping with any type of hyperpigmentation. And it's also great for sensitive skin, which I have personally. <laughs> so. I do too. But isn't it also one of the most expensive substances in the world, though? It is. It is. So we have to formulate it very meticulously. And also the quality control of it is really important to especially when you're eating it or putting it on your skin. I mean, it's... But a little goes... I presume, like, a little goes a long way yeah. when you're cooking with it. I presume it's the same when you're using it topically? Absolutely. You also touched upon ashwagandha and turmeric. Yeah. Are, are you using those ingredients as well? Absolutely. We have so many. And so, I mean, I don't want to list them all, but those are the main ones. And ashwagandha is really... It's a really high-powered adaptogenic ingredient. And it's actually a staple medicinal herb in a lot of Ayurvedic treatments both internally and externally. But in terms of skin, it really helps boost, again, like collagen, elastin. And when formulated for the body, it actually reduces inflammation in the muscles. And a lot of athletes end up using it for muscle soreness or people who have muscle conditions. It's really good for that as well. So when formulated in a body oil, it can really help with soreness and overall skin health. So let's talk about oils for a second. Yeah. What are the benefits of oils? Like, for like, I don't have hair, right? But but, <laughs> but my wife, you know, had some treatments uh, where oils applied to the hair, which I think is a classic example of, yeah. of an Ayurvedic treatment, right? Absolutely. I think throughout history as well, in in so many different cultures, hair the application of hair oil has just been so beneficial and just something that we've always used, especially in South Asian culture. I mean, it not only creates a protective coat that helps ward off environmental stressors and damage that we may inflict on ourselves, like heat damage or overbrushing. But when you apply it to your roots, it can deeply nourish the scalp and cure things like dandruff and skin irritation, as well as helping your hair grow faster and thicker and healthier. And applying hair through massage techniques are really the best way to do this, and that can help stimulate the hair follicles and stimulate growth. Well, it's too late for me, <laughs> but I presume if you have some hair, this, yes, this would work. So. It can't really cure baldness, no, but nothing it, it's can. preventative. So yeah. the sooner you do it and the more often you do it, the better the results will be. Okay. So why would it be beneficial to add oils to their health routine? So when it comes to skin, now that we've spoken about hair, when it comes to skin, I think a well-formulated, high-quality oil that contains concentrated active ingredients will help lock in moisture more effectively than a water-based moisturizer will because face and body oils function as emollients and they strengthen the skin's barrier and encourage the skin to regenerate smooth, vibrant cells and they really lock in the moisture a lot better than water-based ingredients can. And I know for a fact that a lot of people feel it may be too heavy or fear it will break them out. That's like the biggest thing with using oils, especially if you have more of an oilier constitution or acneic skin. But if it's formulated properly, it can actually work alongside the skin's natural state and sebum production and really regulate it so you're not overproducing oil. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, both of you, to explain these more complicated ideas. Thank you so much for having us. It was really such a joy. For more information, please visit manjulaessentials.com. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the natural ways to support the thyroid on the tonic. Medicinal mushrooms offer a multitude of health benefits, including immune support, improved energy, and stress reduction. 
Medicinal mushroom extracts from New Roots Herbal, hot water extracted, providing you validated potency so you get their full health benefits. Discover Reishi, Lion's Mane, or Resilience, a seven-mushroom blend. Find the complete selection of medicinal mushroom extracts from New Roots Herbal exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit newrootsherbal.com. To ensure the products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Dr. Stephanie Rubino, ND, is a licensed naturopathic doctor whose vision is to help others reach optimal health. Dr. Stephanie educates her patients and other health enthusiasts about nutrition, supplementation, and lifestyle strategies to gain the benefits of healthy living. She regularly lectures, appears as a guest on TV shows, and writes articles for health publications, and now she's on radio. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stephanie. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about the thyroid and natural support for the thyroid, and I always like to start at the beginning. So for those who don't know, what is the thyroid gland? gland is this butterfly-shaped endocrine organ that's actually located at the base of our neck. We don't usually see it unless it's enlarged, and it's responsible for releasing hormones that control our metabolism and regulate, you know, some really important body functions like our breathing, our heart rate, menstrual cycles, and our body temperature. Okay, so I know there's an interplay there, you know, the thyroid, I don't know if it regulates hormones or creates hormones, but there's also hormones that impact it. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Both actually, you know, are hormones that impact the thyroid glands and the thyroid gland itself produces hormones. So the thyroid gland, an endocrine gland, you know, produces hormones and we know hormones are important messengers. The thyroid gland typically receives, you know, communications from two glands from our brain, the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. And when it gets those messages, it produces two important thyroid hormones known as T4 and T3. Okay. So, you know, when I think of the thyroid gland, I think of, you know, hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, like two different extremes. Can you tell us a little bit about hypothyroidism and sort of the variants that might occur within that, like, one category? Absolutely. So in hypothyroidism, which is a pretty common condition that people are diagnosed with, especially in Canada, about one in 10 Canadians suffer from a thyroid condition, and in particular hypothyroid, which is known as a more lower functioning thyroid condition. Here we have, you know, people presenting with symptoms such as hair loss, weight gain, low body temperature, you know, fatigue, constipation, and it's typically diagnosed not only with the, you know, specific signs and symptoms that someone might present with, but different, you know, levels in terms of their hormones. So typically they may have a high TSH. TSH is that hormone that is produced by the pituitary gland. And they may also have, you know, low or reduced thyroid hormones, in particular T4 and T3. Okay. What is subclinical hypothyroidism and how does it compare to severe hypothyroidism? So subclinical hypothyroidism is more of a 
early and milder form of hypothyroidism. Here we see patients presenting with more vague, nonspecific symptoms suggestive of hypothyroidism, but their blood work is a little bit different than what we may see in hypothyroidism. So they may have that higher level of TSH. Again, that's that hormone produced by the pituitary gland, but their thyroid hormones, their T4 and T3, will be normal. So I'm going off script here a bit, but it seems to me if these conditions are sort of manifest after changes in hormonal levels, is this something that occurs more often during, you know, times of change, i.e. perimenopause and menopause, or is it not connected to that? It can happen that? at any stage in life because there's a variety of causes that uh, can impact the thyroid gland and its function. You know, of course, family history and genetics will play a role. Definitely as we age, that will have an impact if there's concerns with um, adrenal function, again, something that will play a role, and even nutrient deficiencies. There's also some, you know, research behind the role of toxins, heavy metals, these also impacting thyroid function. Okay, so I think we've painted a picture of, you know, how it manifests and what may cause it. Now, maybe we can shift gears and talk about how to deal with it. So I think the focus, you know, focus on this show is, is sort of natural ways to deal with ailments. So where should we start? Is there a particular diet that might help if you have hypothyroidism? Absolutely. You know, diet is key when we speak about any health condition. So when it comes to supporting the thyroid gland, definitely focusing on a whole foods diet, you know, having a balance of good quality proteins, healthy fats fiber, fruits and vegetables, you know, always key. We want to make sure we're eating, you know, very few processed foods. And we really want to focus on foods that will supply nutrients that support the thyroid gland. So those nutrients may include iron, iodine, selenium, zinc. And it has been shown if we do have any of these deficiencies with these particular nutrients, that can contribute to hypothyroidism. So, you know, really looking at ways that we can support those nutrient levels in order to support the thyroid gland. So we can look at different foods, for example, you know, kelp, nori with supply iodine, Selenium we can get from two Brazil nuts per day. Uh, you know, zinc we can get from different nuts and seeds. So looking at different food sources, but also even the support of a multivitamin supplement can play a role. Okay. And I presume like a blood test will show whether you have deficiencies in those nutrients and or there are hormonal imbalances. Is that correct? Absolutely. So different blood tests can show deficiencies of those nutrients. Yes. Okay. On the point of testing, what sort of tests are available that would help you determine, you know, whether you have a thyroid issue? So typically what's tested is TSH. That's mm -hmm. sort of the standard. Uh, we also want to take a look at the other thyroid hormones such as free T4 and free T3. There are other tests that can be looked at. Uh, one such test is known as reverse T3. This is, you know, an inactive thyroid hormone. Um, it has the you know, sort of the opposite of free T3, but it plays a role in potentially occupying some of those, you know, important receptors in the thyroid gland. So it can play a role in terms of impacting thyroid health. We can also take a look at different thyroid antibodies. And these are really important. Actually, studies show that about 90% of people with underactive thyroid are producing antibodies to the thyroid tissue. And that can actually trigger our immune system 
to attack and destroy the thyroid gland. And that, again, will impact thyroid hormone production and, you know, the condition and function of our thyroid gland. Okay. What is a basal body temperature thyroid test? So our basal body temperature, some people will call it BBT. That's actually the temperature of our body when it's been at rest. Really reflects the lowest body temperature that we will experience throughout the day. So BBT is typically taken when we first wake up in the morning, when we've had a minimum of at least five hours of rest. And because our thyroid hormones regulate our body temperature, then, you know, that BBT will reflect or be a good indicator of our thyroid status. So if we have a low BBT, then that typically indicates that our thyroid function is low. High BBT, you know, a higher functioning thyroid. So the BBT is really great to use along with TSH and free T4 and free T3 to, you know, get an indicator of thyroid status, but we can also use it to see how medications and supplements may be working. Okay, so I know there's no such thing as annual checkups anymore, but if if you were just to go see your practitioner, whether it would be a naturopath or a doctor, are these types of tests routine or would you have to express some sort of symptomology before your practitioner would likely send you for this testing? TSH is pretty routine, but the others are not. So typically, TSH is the first one that would be tested. If there's any indication of an issue, then other, you know, thyroid hormones may be, you know, looked at. Oftentimes not. Ideally, you know, you do want to take a look at all of them because oftentimes you can have a normal TSH, T4, T3, but high antibodies. So it's really important to kind of take a look at all of those tests to really get a good picture of what's happening with the thyroid gland. Okay. So we've talked about foods. What about lifestyle choices? Is there anything that we can do through exercise or mindfulness that's going to impact the thyroid or is this more of a dietary and supplemental issue? No, absolutely. You know, stress management is big. So, you know, how our adrenals are functioning will definitely impact our thyroid function. And in fact, about 80% of women with adrenal exhaustion actually suffer from low thyroid. So looking at stress management techniques is really important. Exercise, meditation, breathing exercises, you know, really looking at managing stress and supporting that adrenal gland. But we definitely want to also look at, you know, different nutrients as well to support the thyroid gland. Okay, so very quickly, last question. What are the nutrients, again, that help balance the thyroid that would be helpful? Great nutrients, iodine, selenium, zinc, these nutrients actually help the conversion of T4 to T3, T3 being our more active thyroid hormone. There are different, you know, botanicals like ashwagandha extract, very important in terms of supporting the production of T4 to support thyroid function. Ashwagandha is one of my favorite herbs because it also acts as an adaptogen, so it will play, you know, an important role in terms of supporting our adrenal glands while also supporting the thyroid gland. And L-tyrosine, a really important amino acid that will act as a precursor to our thyroid hormones, and it's been shown to really support our energy levels, our mood, our appetite, and support conditions related to thyroid function. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Tracy Sograti, Karishma Mamta Pranjavan, and Dr. Stephanie Rubino, MD. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. 
You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The May-June issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.